question can be overlooked. That request, we can just brush by that request and get to the good stuff. Let's get to the Our Father. Let's get to the teachings on prayer. But that request, teach us to pray. I mean, that's so interesting. It's so interesting for a lot of reasons. I mean, how many of us have heard the old phrase, prayer is talking with God? It's simple. Prayer is talking with God. That's it. It's that simple. I think, though, that it's an interesting question because simple things are really not easy oftentimes. Just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy in any way. And prayer is not easy for so many reasons. Prayer is a fundamentally simple thing that we complicate so often. And oftentimes we complicate it because we are really complex people who have really complex lives. We have coworkers, we have random people on the street. When we speak and we have conversations with people, our words are not simple. They're filled with all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of our hopes, all of our traumas, all of our desires, all of our manipulation, all of our everything. And then we're talking and we're also gauging what are their fears, what are their hopes, what are their perceptions. And so our conversations are full of complex backward back thoughts and so our words are not really what we mean. We're trying to figure out what to say and how to say it to make sure we account for who they are and to hide some of the things that are going on inside of us. And so even our conversations with each other get really, really complicated. And I think that the same thing happens in prayer. We bring to God all of our expectations, all the things that we think that he wants from us. We try to act the way that he thinks that we should behave. And we bring all of our fears, all of our traumas, all of our insecurities. And so prayer becomes actually a complicated and complex thing when really it should be simple. But how many of us have had an experience of those conversations with the closest of our friends or those in whose presence we can be completely vulnerable, where all of our words are whole, where we're able to speak with complete clarity and unity from the depths of our heart? Nothing is hidden. Everything is transparent. Our words are simple and that they are exactly what we want and mean to say. So they are united with the whole of who we are. All of us have had those conversations. All of us remember those conversations. All of us are blown away by those conversations where we can bear out our souls, where we can be completely vulnerable, where we can completely open up, and our words are exactly what we mean them to be. And we're not afraid, and we can open up. And this is the way that we need to learn to talk with God. And so I think that the disciples are realizing, they're hitting a critical point at which they realize that the way in which they talk with God is not correct. I think another thing that we need to remember when contextualizing the question is that the, the apostles, it's not like they didn't know prayer. They're coming from an, <laughs> an incredibly rich thousands-year-old prayer tradition. And they've been taught to pray ever since they were little kids. Like, they've been praying. 
It's not like the disciples had never prayed before, that they weren't saying prayers. I'll give one example. Um, in, in Judaism, there's a prayer called the Amidah. It's, it's kind of like the Ikbeya. It's something that Jews pray on weekdays, every day, morning, evening, and morning, midday, and at night. Um, Jesus would have prayed this prayer. The Jews, or the disciples for sure would have prayed this prayer. It was a very common prayer that everyone practices and still practice today. It's still taught uh, today. Um, and so I just want to share with you some of the words of this prayer because I want to show you I want to make a particular point about the Our Father prayer, and I'll do that in just a second. But listen to some of the words of this, of this prayer. Pardon us, our Father, for we have sinned. Forgive us, our King, for we have transgressed. For you are a good and forgiving God. Blessed are you, O Lord, gracious, one who pardons abundantly. O behold our affliction and wage our battle. Redeem us speedily for the sake of your name. For you, God, are the mighty Redeemer. Blessed are you, Lord, Redeemer of Israel. Heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. Help us, and we will be saved, for you are our praise. Grant complete cure and healing to all of our wounds. For you, Almighty King, are a faithful and merciful healer. Blessed are you, Lord who heals the sick of his people, Israel. And it goes on. It's a long prayer. It's full of words that, are, that we hear in our liturgy. It's full of words that were, that were recited by Christ and the Our Father. And the point of me sharing this is just to share that the disciple prayer was not foreign to the disciples. And not only was prayer not foreign to the disciples, but they grew up in a context where prayer was taking, taken exceedingly seriously. Let me read you commentary from another tome on just on this Amidah prayer. There's a tome of writing about how to pray this prayer, commentary over and over, going over like what is the formal way that we should pray this prayer, how should we prepare ourselves. It says uh, in this commentary, one may only stand and begin to pray from an approach of respectful awe and submission. There is a tradition that the early generations of pious men would wait one hour in order to reach the solemn frame of mind appropriate for prayer and then pray so that they would focus their hearts towards their Father in heaven. Standing in prayer is standing before God, and as such, even if a king were to greet a man, he should not respond to him. And even if a snake is wrapped around his heel, he should not interrupt his prayer. I mean, I think that they knew how to pray. I think that Jews were in a context of taking prayer really, really seriously. It's not as though prayer was something foreign to, to, to the disciples or to Christ. I want us to really, really see that they, that they took prayer seriously, but... I do think that it's important to realize that the request, teach us to pray, comes when people hit a pivotal point in their spiritual life when they realize there's something that I don't understand about this prayer. There's something that I don't understand about how to do this. There's some, I want to go deeper in my prayer life. I want to really know how to talk to God. And I think what really tipped them over the edge was Christ 
and John the Baptist. Because they saw a prayer life in Christ that was remarkable. How many times did they see Christ alone in prayer? And they're looking for him everywhere and they can't find him because he's gone off to pray by himself. And how many times did they see Christ hold all-night vigils? How many times did they hear the words of Christ opening up to the Father for them? And they were touched by those words. And right before this passage, literally in Luke, right before the gospel that we just read, is the story of Mary and Martha. You know, where Martha invites Christ over to her house, and she's hosting, and she's working, and she's being productive, and she's doing the dishes, and she's making the food, and she's doing everything to be a good hostess. And she's prepared everything very well. And she looks at Christ, and she says... Christ, aren't you going to tell my sister to, like, get up and help me? She's sitting at your feet, and you're just going to sit there and watch her, like, do nothing while I'm, like, sweating and working and being productive? Like, I mean, what's the deal? Come on. Like, it's just kind of messed up. <laughs> and Christ literally says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen the thing that will not be taken away from her. And right after that, the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. From seeing Christ, from being touched by a person who really knows how to open up and speak to God, we are filled with a desire to go deeper in our prayer lives. And so many of us, I've talked to so many people, they're like, oh, I, after I met this person, they completely changed my life. They just had this way about them. Their prayer was like amazing. Wow, when I met this person, it's not like something that you can just force. We have to see people who really know how to pray to inspire us to want to go down this journey of learning to pray. And so I think that this request is a pivotal point in the disciples' journey of going to their teacher and saying, okay, we've been praying since we were kids. We've heard all the commentary. We know what we're supposed to do. But there's definitely something about prayer that we don't understand because we see the way that you pray. And we want some of that. <laughs> we want to know what that, that is. We, teach us to pray. And so I think that that's a really, really important question. It's an aha moment for the disciples, for sure. Um, okay, so now let's go ahead and, and tackle the question. Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? What does Christ teach us about prayer? Well, as I've already shown, I think... We can get into the Our Father, obviously, and, and I'm sure many of us have heard sermons where people kind of break down the Our Father, and those are beautiful discussions. But as we saw in the Amidah and many Jewish prayers, I don't think that Christ was trying to teach them some sort of revolutionary words that were like a new prayer that like no one had ever heard before. And so if, if you look, and, and he doesn't stop after that. He doesn't say, okay, Pray our Father, and then he's like, okay, now you know how to pray. Christ doesn't stop there. He goes on and gives more and more and more instruction. And he gives some very interesting 
and strange parables, but, but I want to focus on the last verse where I really think he hits it home. How are we supposed to pray? If, <clears throat> he says, if you then who are evil, and he's talk, after he talks about if a, if a father, if when a son asks his father, give me bread, will his father give him a stone? No. And then he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He says all of this stuff. He says, be persistent in prayer. Look, seek, desire. But then at the end, he says, but let me tell you really, if you really want to pray, let me tell you what to desire. Desire the Holy Spirit. Because it is not I, Christ, who will teach you to pray. I'm not here to teach you to pray. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all things that I have said unto you. In John, Christ says, Christ is praying. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And so once again in John, he's making the point and he makes the point over and over again through the Gospels. I am going to send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything. And so really what Christ is saying is if if we want to learn how to pray, we need to invoke and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to learn how to pray. But then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? (laughs) How do we get the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray? I mean, how does that work? I'm going to use a metaphor to talk about how we might approach the subject of asking the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. And the metaphor is just another way of talking about prayer of the heart. Many of us have heard about prayer of the heart and we've talked about it and we've lectured about it. And um, we, we have tons of resources about this type of prayer. And the point I wanna make before I start talking about this metaphor is that prayer of, of the heart and we use the Jesus prayer and we use all sorts of types of prayer to enable us to pray in this way. Prayer of the heart is not a prayer amongst other types of prayer. It's not a type of prayer that we do just like supplication or veneration or repentance uh, or any of the other types of prayer that we engage in. Prayer of the heart becomes the way in which all of those prayers flourish. It undergirds every single type of prayer. Prayer of the heart is the foundation for prayer because prayer of the heart opens us up to the Holy Spirit. Through prayer of the heart, we get in contact with the Holy Spirit who is trying to talk with us and teach us how to pray. And then all of our supplications 
and all of our venerations and all of our begging with God becomes through the Holy Spirit. Prayer of the heart is an essential thing. And so in order to understand the Holy Spirit, though, the metaphor that I'm going to use is I'm going to talk about the language of God. If we want to learn how to pray, if we want to learn how to understand the Holy Spirit, if we want to learn how to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray, we have to learn the language of God. Oftentimes when we pray, we pray with our language. We pray on our terms. And that's fine. I mean, the reality is that no matter how we pray, whether we're good at it or bad at it, quote unquote, God is so faithful, so loving, so merciful. He'll never not listen to us. Anything that we say, no matter whether it's effective or a good prayer or a bad prayer, God is always faithful to hear us. But remember, let's contextualize the question. The disciples want to go deeper into prayer. And so if we also are serious about going deeper into prayer, then we need to start to pray on God's terms. God's ways are not our ways. God works in mysterious and different ways, and he has his own way of speaking in the world. And not only that, he speaks us into existence. His word causes our heart to beat. His word is in every breath that we take. The language of God is all around us. And so we need to learn to speak the language of God. Now, learning a language is actually really easy. I mean, the mechanics of it, it's not, it's not easy, but the mechanics of it are simple, right? How do you learn a language? Well, the best way to learn a language is immersion. I mean, I think, I don't know, maybe someone can disprove me, but I've heard that if you want to learn a language, throw yourself into a country, go out there, make a fool of yourself, and just try, right? Listen to people speaking, get in there, try to say some words, and really all it is is listening and speaking. That's it. It's that simple. If you want to learn a language, all you need to do is listen and speak. And so to learn the language of God, we need to learn first before we start to speak. If you go to a country and you don't know the language, you're not going to start speaking. You don't know the language. You're going to look crazy. <laughs> no one's going to understand what you're talking about. But that's what we do in prayer. We start by speaking. We just get up there and we're like, all right, I'm going to talk. Let's do it. Talk with God. Let's go. Right? We don't wait. We don't listen. We don't know. We don't even know how to listen. We just speak. And so we don't know the language of God. And so the first step in learning this language is listening. <clears throat> One thing, though, that I will say is that the trick with learning the language of God is realizing that the language of God is not something that we learn. It's actually something that we remember. Because the language of God is actually our mother tongue. The language of God, English is not our mother tongue, Arabic is not our mother tongue, Coptic is not our mother tongue. Our mother tongue is actually the language of God stamped at the very center of our being. It's not a language that we have to learn. It's a language that we already know, but tragically have forgotten. But because we know the language, sometimes it flashes forth into our lives and we hear the words of God speaking in our lives and seeing a child smile and watching a beautiful couple get married and hearing a vulnerable person open up about their suffering and seeing the sun set on a brilliant summer night 
we are drawn into a language that we already know. We are united with the entirety of our being and with the presence of God in that moment, and we catch a glimpse of the inherent holiness of everything that exists. In other words, we hear God speak. This sort of experience leaves a wound, a hole that only God can fill. The more these experiences flash forth into our lives, the more we desire to abide in this kind of language, this kind of awareness of the presence of God, of the inherent holiness of all things. St. John of the Cross, it's kind of a weird metaphor, but St. John of the Cross describes God as a little deer, kind of like sort of a shei deer in a way, but this deer, you're, you're walking along in the woods, this deer runs out and bites you and leaves a wound and then runs away. And St. John of the Cross calls that the love wound. And then, unbeknownst to us, we're walking along once again and the deer comes out and makes the wound deeper. And just randomly throughout our lives, it keeps happening until the wound is so deep, until the wound is so unbearable that we cry out and we say, God, it's not fair. And I think that that's the point at which the disciples were at, where they're like, we need to go deeper. We need to learn more. We need to remember the language of God. It's irresistible for us now. The next part of listening is we need to learn, and we've talked about it a lot, but I think it's important always to emphasize. We need to learn silence. And I want to say something about listening. With, with a human language, with a regular language, you can master the language. There's, I was just watching a YouTube video yesterday about the Scrabble master. I mean, this guy's the number one Scrabble player in the world. I mean, and he's coming up with words. I mean, you can't even imagine what this word is. I never heard of this word. He knows every word in the English dictionary. He knows how to manipulate them. And I mean, he is a language master because human language is finite. It only has a finite and limited number of words, and so you can master that language. So you only need to listen for a while before you can be pretty good at speaking that language. But the language of God is an infinite language. You could never listen enough to be able to speak the language of God properly. You could never master the language of God. It goes in all directions forever. There is no stopping, no end, no, there's no end. And so our listening is not something that we should just figure out how to master. It's not, our silence isn't something that we should just engage in until we finally figure it out. It's something that we're going to engage in with the rest of our lives. And that will continue on into eternity. That we will, even after death, we will be speaking the language of God. We will be listening to the words which God speaks. And so this process of silence is not a process that should be rushed. It's not a process that's like, okay, I've done it enough. I want to speak now. I'm a master. Silence needs to go on, and it's going to go on, and we have to have patience. Um, a contemporary writer, uh, he was a monk. I've talked about him before. His name, his name is Thomas Merton. He, he writes really beautifully about the life of silence, the life of prayer. He says, the world of man has forgotten the joys of silence, the peace of solitude, which is necessary to some extent for the fullness of human living. 
Man cannot be happy for long unless he is in contact with the springs of spiritual life which are hidden in the depths of his own soul. If a man is exiled constantly from his own home, locked out of his spiritual solitude, he ceases to be a true person. When I am liberated by silence, when I am no longer involved in the measurement of life, but in the living of it, I can discover a form of prayer in which there is effectively no distraction. My whole life becomes a prayer. My silence is full of prayer. The world of silence in which I am immersed contributes to my prayer. And so we need to cultivate a practice of sitting in silence, whether that's through the Jesus prayer, whether that's through attentively saying the Ekbeya, whether that's through attentively doing the dishes, like it doesn't matter what the practice is. We need a practice of learning to listen in silence because God speaks with a still, small voice. We all know the story of Elijah who was looking for God and he couldn't hear God until he listened to God in the still, small voice. The prophets are trying to teach us the way in which God speaks, the language of God that they know and that they're trying to get us to remember. The only way that we're going to remember, the only way that the Holy Spirit is going to be able to speak into our lives and teach us how to pray is that if we learn how to listen in silence. But next, let's move to speaking. So we've listened, we're listening, but we also want to talk to God. Like We want to pray and we want to talk to each other. And that's fair, we should. <laughs> Nothing should stop us from doing that. Um, What's important to remember is that if we learn to listen, the listening will transform every word that we speak to God. If we've heard the Holy Spirit speak, if we listen to God and know his voice, it will translate every single thing that we say, it will undergird every, every single word that we speak with his Holy Spirit. But the thing that stifles that there's something that gets in the way when we speak. There's something that stifles our ability to speak the word of God. And it's our pride and it's our ego. And so if we wish to speak the language of God, the only way that we can really approach speaking the language of God is through utter humility. It's through, it is really, really through humility because our pride, our ego gets in the way all of our fears, all of our concerns, all of our perceptions, as we spoke about in the beginning, really get in the way of being able to speak the word of God. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says something that I, it's a phrase that I love, and I, I really think it's an amazing phrase, and I thank God that it, it's written down. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. A really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. This type of humility is actually exceedingly scary. I think we have to be real. That type of humility where we stop thinking about ourselves is really terrifying because who's going to take care of me if I don't take care of things myself? Who's going to take care of all of the responsibilities? Who's going to manage everything? What's going to happen to me 
If I stop thinking about myself, if I forget myself on purpose, which is a phrase that, Saint, that Thomas Merton uses. He says, you gotta forget yourself on purpose, which I'll read in just a second. But that's a really scary thing to do. I mean, who's gonna take care of things? What will happen to me? What about my identity? Where am I gonna go if I stop thinking about myself? And then that's a really scary thing. There's a, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but basically there's a psychologist, his, I don't know his first name, sorry, <laughs> maybe some of you do. Uh, his last name is Maslow, and he came up with this hierarchy of needs. He said, for humans to be happy, uh, we have these needs. At the bottom of the pyramid is like food, in the middle is like security, right, which is a serious concern, like we want to be secure, we want to make sure our family is secure. And at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is called self-actualization. So it's called self-actualization. He says a person can really only be happy when they self-actualize, or in other words, when they fulfill their destiny, when they fulfill their true purpose, when they are the best version of themselves in the world. And there's so many self-help books out there. There's so much literature now about how to self-actualize, how to become the best version of yourself, how to become productive, kind, how to deal with your anger, how to become the best version of yourself so that you can make the biggest impact or difference in the world. And, and so if I stop thinking about myself, though, how am I supposed to self-actualize? How am I supposed to become the best version of myself? Now, I'm not proposing that we throw out self-actualization but only that as Christians we tweak it slightly. The reality is that only God can manifest the truest version of ourselves. God knew who we were before the, before the universe was even created. We were stamped in God's heart. God is the one who actualizes us. So by trusting in him, by throwing off our self-care, by giving over to this stop thinking about yourself mentality, become humble, we allow God to actualize us. It's not us who take care of things. God actually will manifest the truest version of my identity. The true version of my uniqueness as Tony will only be actualized through the power of God, through his work in my life, through surrendering myself over to him. Jesus Christ said, those who wish to save their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake will gain eternal life. <clears throat> I just want to read. I'll, I'll finish with reading one passage. <laughs> and Well, I'll just finish with a story. So Marianne and I were discussing this whole, like, idea of forgetting yourself on purpose and listening to the voice of God. And she told me the story about how um, when she was a kid, her mom was reading her uh, about Samuel, about the prophet Samuel. And it's, she said it was, uh, she read the, the verse that said, one night while in the temple, he heard God's voice. Samuel heard him and answered him. Here I am, Lord. I am listening. Three times God called to Samuel and three times Samuel answered him because he was quiet enough to listen. The Lord was with him, and he grew 
up and he made Samuel a great prophet. And Marianne said like, okay, as a kid, she was like, okay, sweet. I'm going to start listening to hear the voice of God because I want to hear him talk to me. So she would go out and walk around and she would, you know, she said, she would walk around outside and she would hear the cars going by and she would hear the river and she would hear like the bugs moving and she would listen really, really, really carefully. And she said it was, it was really a profound experience, but it was also profoundly frustrating because she never heard God say, are you there, Marianne? It's me, God. I love you, and you are right, and your brothers are wrong, which is exactly what she really wanted to hear. She never heard that. <laughs> but the funny thing is, when she thinks about it now, her frustration with God and not speaking in a human way um, came from her desire for him to speak in a human way. She wanted him to speak on her terms. But now, as she's gotten older, she realized that God in his faithfulness and love towards her opened her heart to realize that in the birds chirping and in the cars moving and in the creep bubbling, he was speaking and teaching and calling her to remember his language. So in order to pray, in order to speak with God and others in the language of God, we must forget ourselves on purpose so that his voice, his speech, his power might be manifested in and through us. Glory to God. We believe in one God, God the Father, the Pantocrator, creator of heaven and earth and of all things seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ,